Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hey friends, welcome back. I'm Brian Zelmer from KU Presents at Kutztown University, and I'm with my friends today, Kevin. Kevin Maynard, Quad City Arts, splitting the border between Iowa and Illinois. Katie. Hey, it's Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. Josh. Josh Benson in Marion, Illinois at the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. And Danielle. Hey, it's Danielle Van Hook from the Alden in McLean, Virginia. So today we're talking with David Rowell, and if you don't know who he is, if you go to APAP, he's the guy that brings all those students and walks around with them everywhere. And we'll we'll talk about that more in a moment. But first, I have a question for all of you guys. Have you ever said to yourself, never again, and then at some point later, it happened again? So I used to struggle with personal boundaries and, you know, people treating me like crap, but then me still working with them after that probably wasn't until I was in like my 30s that I was able to, you know, put my foot down and tell people to just go away and not be taken advantage of like that anymore. So Brian, uh, a couple of years ago, I started running and I trained for my first marathon and I ran my first marathon and I crossed the finish line. And I said to my wife, I said, this is the dumbest thing I have ever done. I'm never doing this again. And then two weeks later, I uh, signed up for a 50 miler. (laughs) In like a five year span of time, I think I moved like six times and I hate moving. So once we finally got to the point where we were buying a house, I was like so specific about small things and things that my husband like didn't care about. And the entire time I was like, look, we're never moving again. This is where we're going to live for 50 years Like, just deal with me. And, (laughs) you know, like two kids in a pandemic later, you know, I'm like laying in my bed in the morning looking at Zillow. Like (laughs) (laughs) a couple of weeks after that, like we're touring houses and me just out there nevering like I was never going to do again. And that pack up and move I thought was like going to break me. (laughs) But now I'm never moving again. Uh, Brian, mine is roller coasters. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, we went to Michigan's Adventure, which is our the only amusement park in the state of Michigan. And it happens to be in my hometown of Muskegon. And I rode for the first time ever the third largest wooden roller coaster in the world, which was there called Shivering Timbers. And I said, never again, because that was the worst experience of my entire very young life. Um, and I don't think I've rode a roller coaster for a few years. And then I think maybe like eighth grade or freshman year of high school it was like a rainy summer day and my mom was like get out of the house I'm dropping you off in Michigan's adventure uh so my brother and I went and because there was no one in the park we rode roller coasters all day long you could like get off the roller coaster go to the end of the line run through and get right on the next one and we rode roller coasters all day long and I don't know why but it was really fun and I was able to handle it and now I don't go on them because I'm older and motion sickness is a real thing. So, but yeah, roller coasters. So one of my never again moments is when I was leaving Sussex County Community College as a presenter there, I said, I will never work at a college or university again because I, while I love working with the students and I love the presenting and all of that stuff, I just couldn't stand the bureaucracy and all of the things that have nothing to do with the Performing Arts Center. And here I am several years later working at another university and I love it. So 
So speaking of university, David Rowell is with Dean College, and he brings tons of students to APAP every year. And I had a great conversation with him. David says never again about presenting, and it's an interesting story. So I hope you enjoy the conversation with David and two of his students. My name is David Rao, and I am Associate Professor of Arts and Entertainment Management and Program Coordinator of Arts and Entertainment Management with Dean College in Franklin, Massachusetts. And I also oversee the front of house and box office, as well as Storytime, which is a 60-minute Zoom talk show that we do. And this December, we had our 83rd Storytime guest. Great. Welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. If I'm correct, I met you at a PA Presenters. Yes. So you used to be in Pennsylvania. I was in Pennsylvania. I was at uh, Point Park University in Pittsburgh, and I was teaching presenting there. Well, actually, sports arts and entertainment management Okay. in the School of Business. And we met at a PA presenters meeting. I was a presenter for 25 years and then was teaching on and off along during that, but then moved into teaching full-time uh, between Point Park and now Dean. In the beginning, how did you first find the love for the arts? I got exposed to the theater when I was 10 years old. My fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Summoth, bless her heart, took my class to see 1776 in Philadelphia with the original Broadway cast with William Daniels and Howard Da Silva. I was in fifth grade and I got home and I looked at my parents and I went, what is this theater stuff? I'm intrigued by this. And I haven't stopped since. Uh, I started clowning and... In uh, fifth grade or did, are, you, are we jumping ahead now or did no, you no, start No, no, no. When I was 10, I started, oh, wow. I started wow. doing clowning uh, in conjunction with the church. And so I was doing clown ministry and was doing theater and performances. When I was in high school, I, I danced six, seven hours a day. Uh, classical ballet, modern, theatrical, and then was also doing technical and production at the same time, uh, stage management. Uh, went to undergraduate school fully intending to be a performer. I was going to ask, where was your passion? Like, you're doing a lot of things, but what was, like, the underlining passion? My passion was with live entertainment, with, okay. with, with doing it live. Just being involved I, in it. Yeah, yeah, just being involved with it, but, do, but being live. I had done film work, and I had done TV work, and, you know, it was great. It was fun. Is it the immediate feedback with the audience, or is it yeah, the no creative process? Yeah, and I liked, the, I liked the live feeling, and I liked the interaction and, and the response and reaction. Okay. And so I really focused on the live aspects of things and was planning to a career as a dancer, actually. And when I was 19 years old, I blew the left knee out oh, man. Teaching, a, teaching a dance class, uh, shredded the meniscus, had four and a half inches of cartilage removed, and had just gotten back on my feet from that when I went through the windshield of my car in a car accident. Oh my God. I was literally thrown through the windshield, came back and out the side window. And I was in bed for almost four months and cerebral concussion, re-injured the knee, couldn't work out for almost a year and a half afterwards. And every pound I ever lost as a dancer all came back. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna focus on acting. And then I transferred to Hope College in Holland, Michigan intending to be a performer. In class one day, in, in acting three, uh, Dale McFadden, bless his heart, I did a monologue from uh, The Tempest, Caliban's monologue inciting the men to riot. 
and I finished the monologue and Dale just sat there stroking his beard, not saying a word. And suddenly he said, William Shatner being interviewed at poolside by Rona Barrett. <laughs> and I went, I'm not going to be an actor. <laughs> and honest to God, the next day I walked into my advisor's office and I changed my concentration from performance to lighting design and stage management. Wow. Okay. So my bachelor's degree is actually in, in, in lighting design. And did you work in that, or was that just the gateway to no, something I, else? I, worked, I, I was the master electrician. I was okay. the assistant theater manager. Uh, I was designing lights for theater shows. I was designing lights for dance shows. And this is in Michigan still? This is it, all at school okay. in Michigan. And I graduated and went back to the East Coast because I grew up in Jersey. Uh, within three months of getting back, I got hired as the assistant stage manager for the Princeton Ballet and was touring with the Princeton Ballet and doing Nutcracker with them and all kinds of fun and discovered I was actually a much better stage manager than I was a lighting designer. And I liked it more. So my passion became stage management. Gotcha. And I did that on and off. I was a professional stage manager for Actors Equity Stage Manager for 13 years. Uh, worked at a number of regional theaters up and down the East Coast and around. Loved being a stage manager. My specialty was working on new plays and premieres. I stage managed uh, seven world premieres. Did you have someone to kind of show you the ropes? Because going from being a dancer to a stage manager, there's, there's some well, disconnect I had, there. I knew a little bit about stage management from being a dancer and from being a performer. And so I actually did the—I worked for the Princeton Ballet for a year— and then I got an internship at McCarter Theater in Princeton, New mm -hmm. Jersey, to be a stage management intern there. And so I interned for a year at McCarter, oh, and that was some of the best training I could. I, I, I worked, the head stage manager at the time was a guy named Peter Cook, who was absolutely incredible to work with. And, and I, there was, the stage management team there was fabulous. And I learned so much from them. And... I was just about to finish my internship up when I got a call to become the ASM for the Berkshire Theater Festival up in Stockbridge, Massachusetts for the summer. And I went up there and got my equity card mm -hmm. and got to work with um, Jim Bernardi, who was a Broadway stage manager. He was the original stage manager on Legends with Mary Martin and Carol Channing. He was, a, he was the production stage manager at the Public Theater for years. So learning from Jim and, and diving in. And they, I went from there, and like I said, 13 years as an equity stage manager. You're an educator now. So. Yeah. And well, before well, that, there's I was a presenter. presenter so yeah. I, <laughs> while I was stage managing, there was a part of me that realized, okay, I love stage managing. I love being the first one in and the last one out. But I do want to have a life. Mm. And uh, it was challenging. And I actually had a moment. I interviewed for a position as executive director for a performing arts center. I was number two. And I knew the person who was doing the interview. And I said, why, why didn't I get it? And she said, you're incredibly passionate. You speak well about theater and the art and everything else. She said, but you don't speak business. I said, what do you mean? She said, you don't know how to talk to lawyers. You don't know how to talk to bankers. She said, so you, if you want to be an executive director, you need to understand how to, talk to, how to talk business. Did you understand what she meant then? I did. We talked about it. I was like, okay, I needed to understand the difference between assets and liabilities, debits and credits. I needed to understand how to, how to create a budget. I was at Actors Theater of Louisville 
stage managing the world premiere of a show called A Piece of My Heart by Shirley Laro. And I had submitted for graduate school to three graduate schools, but I had also interviewed for some other things. There was this week where I got the show we were doing, got opted to move to Off-Broadway. And I was offered the this production stage manager to take the show to Off-Broadway. I got offered to be the production stage manager for um, a theater in Michigan. And I got accepted, I got my acceptance notice from Yale, Brooklyn College, and the University of Alabama, and the wow. Alabama Shakespeare Festival. All at the Festival. same time. All happened in a week. Yeah, wow. And I'm like going, okay. <laughs> Any direction you go, it, it's yeah. going to be a good thing for you. Like, how did you, what was the process of eliminating, or did you just go to what, what was, like, the most appealing? I waited out. I did a whole pros and cons situation. I called a couple of different people that I trusted and said, okay, here's the options. I got five options right now. And there was a process of elimination. For example, with A Piece of My Heart and Off-Broadway, the thought was, while that is sexy and that could be cool, what if the show only runs for a week? Mm -hmm. Very valid. Yale, in all honesty, uh, at that point in time, it would have cost me $96,000 because they didn't offer any financial aid at that point. And so that was like, <laughs> out. Brooklyn, great school, would have been working with Stephen Langley and everything, but it was all at night, and you did residency, internship work during the daytime, and then classes at night. Alabama would have been two years rather than three years. It would have been two semesters in Tuscaloosa at the university and then 15 months at the Alabama Shakespeare Festival in Montgomery, interning there and working there and taking classes. And they offered me a full assistantship that was going to pay my tuition and get, pay me money. Wasn't much of a choice. Gotcha. The program at the University of Alabama and the Alabama Shakespeare Festival at that time was amazing. And the opportunity to work, you know, we ran the box office and the marketing at the university for the theater and dance department. And then when we went to the Shakespeare Festival, we rotated amongst departments. So I, so I spent a rotation in the production management office learning how to be a production manager. And then a rotation with Barry Kofelt in the marketing office. And I developed a couple of publication and marketing pieces uh, in the fundraising and development office. And I got to be part of the team that wrote a Lila Wallace grant, Lila Wallace Reader's Digest grant that got $3 million. Oh, wow. So all of those opportunities and exposure mm -hmm. to this professional setting was absolutely a huge impact. You talk about moving here to there to Michigan. To, yeah. you know, you're bouncing around. How do you, first of all, uh, like make those moves at that age mm -hmm. and then adjust to the, the new, totally new region of the country at, while pursuing a brand new, you know, situation? situation yeah. um, it is, I joke that it's the what I call the wanderlust. Okay. And the fact is, is it's going into a new situation. It's a chance to... It's so a, that was it, part of the appeal. Was that the, was part of the appeal. The was, it was situation. going into a new situation, mm -hmm. working with a new group of people and a new team. It was intriguing to go to different places. I mean, when I moved to Alabama, I was a street kid from New Jersey. But going to different places gave me the experience of also... Different cultures, different lifestyles, sure. working with different types of people. I can understand the appeal of that. How yeah. did you do it, though? Because how did you find the place to live to you well, know, like get for, on your for feet? For example, when I was at MacArthur, 
They supplied housing. Okay. Got the job at Berkshire Theater Festival. Went, because it was equity, they supplied housing. Went to Florida and then went to Georgia. And each time, because of being an equity stage manager, they supplied housing. I see. When I went to grad school, I went and found an apartment, rented an apartment. And then when we went to Montgomery to the Shakespeare Festival, two of my colleagues and I, the three of us got an apartment together. After graduating from Alabama, I got offered two jobs in one day, the, the rep for new and emerging theaters at Actors Equity here in New York. And I got offered the production stage manager position for the Browning Center at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. And my fiance and I, uh, now ex-wife, uh, we, we talked about it, we waited out, and we said, let's go to Utah. Let's go experiment. Let's go try Utah. And we loved it. We lived in Utah for six years. I always look, though, before I think about someplace, I think, okay, what's cost of living? What's, what's availability? What's things like that? How did you get from that type of work and bouncing around the country to becoming a presenter? Uh, when, I was in, when I was in Utah, uh, I was the production stage manager for the Browning Center at Weber State. And while there, the gentleman who had been the presenter, he was retiring. They were looking for somebody. It was a part-time position. And my wife and I decided to apply for it together. Okay. Because it would, I wanted to still keep the full-time position so with benefits and everything else. And we thought it'd be fun to do it together. And we got it. And so we started running this presenting series together. And I had done presenting in college at Hope. And I'd forgotten how much I liked presenting and how much I loved the diversity of it. We ran this presenting series for a year and a half together, and then I left the university to go open the Egyptian Theater in downtown Ogden. And the funny thing was, is we became competitors hmm. because she had her series up at the university, and I had my presenting series down at the Egyptian. Okay. And we would come to like APAP, and people would be like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> you're two presenters in the same town with two different series, and you're married. <laughs> And we're like, yeah. And they're like, okay, we're going to put an artist in front of you and we're going to watch you guys fight. <laughs> and we never did because her venue was 1,700 seats mm -hmm. and my venue was 850 seats. So we never fought over artists because it, never, it was always a question of fit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So moved that, that pulled me back into presenting. When I left Utah, I became executive director of the Mahaffey Theater Foundation in Florida in St. Petersburg. After the Mahaffey, I got an offer to open the Four River Center, uh, which is now the Carson Center in Paducah, Kentucky. About a year after opening that, got a very interesting offer to become the head of the theater management F MFA program at Florida State University. So this was a move into teaching full-time at the graduate level, teaching theater management te and everything else. And I did that for six, five and a half, almost six years. It was fabulous. It was great. And it was very funny because one of my students said to me at one point, a couple of years, you know, said, you've opened two buildings. Are you ever going to open another one? <laughs> and I said, you know, at this point I've done two. I don't know if I really need to do another one. Literally, <laughs> literally about two weeks later, you jinxed it. <laughs> I got a, I got a headhunter call that they were looking for somebody to open the Spruce Peak Performing Arts Center up in Stobermont. What was the learning curve? What, what were the things that you needed to learn biggest, on the job? Biggest thing was everybody when I got there kept saying, okay, we're going to get all these people from the resort when they're there because they want entertainment. They want to do stuff and everything else. It was an interesting situation because I decided to do the programming on what I called Act 1 and Act 2. 
Act one was end of November to beginning of April, in essence, ski season. Mm -hmm. Act two was end of June to beginning of October, which was summer and leaf peepers. Mm -hmm. I did very different styles of programming with them. But going into this first season in the snow, in the ski season, everybody kept saying, okay, all the people from the region. And what we discovered? It was residents. Oh, it was completely wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you've just skied for eight hours. Do you ski or snowboard? Yes, yeah. No, that's exhausting. You want to... You ski for eight hours. Just chill. You want to drink, or you want to hit the hot tub, or you want to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. You do not want to get dressed up and go see Yo-Yo Ma. (laughs) And so we uh, completely changed the whole perspective on marketing Mm -hmm. and how we needed to develop target markets and drawing audiences in. The whole idea became, okay, if we're going to program something in the Act 1, we need to make sure it goes out when they're booking their reservations so it becomes part of their package right, right. to try to draw people in. And how are we going to get people to come up the mountain? I couldn't do, for example, I, in the wintertime, I couldn't do school matinees because there was no place to park school buses because of all the skier parking and the traffic going up the mountain with the day skiers. So it was discovering things like that. Mm-hmm. While I was at Spruce Peak, made the decision, realized as much as I loved running venues, I really loved teaching. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to move back to full-time teaching. Went after a position at Point Park in sports arts and entertainment management. Went there, taught there for six years. Um, realized as much as I loved Pittsburgh and Point Park, there was no opportunity for growth. And so I decided to say, okay, let's see what's out there. And literally a friend called me and said, hey, did you hear that Dean College is looking for somebody? Funny thing was, is six years before that, when I had, was applying to Point Park, I had applied to Dean and interviewed at Dean and chose to go to Point Park. I went after it, and I laughed because I went to interview with two of the people, two of the faculty members, and we went to sit down at the dining hall for lunch at the same table we sat at six years before. And I said, wow, this looks familiar. And one of the Jim Beauregard goes, wait. We've done this before, haven't we? I said, yes, we have. <laughs> he goes, I remember. I liked you. I said, oh, well, that's a good thing. Okay, yeah, very yeah. cool. Long story short, a week and a half ago was five years. Congratulations. And I absolutely love it. So tell us a little bit about your program. Uh, it is part of the School of the Arts. It is a bachelor's degree in arts and entertainment management. The focus is looking at what is on the business side of things. We offer courses in theater, dance, and performing arts management, presenting, performing arts and touring, producing for Broadway and regional theater, marketing, fundraising, venue and facility management, uh, safety and security for live events. Every other year, we offer a class in theme park management, which is all sorts of fun. There's a lot of opportunity there. A lot of opportunity. It was originally, my predecessor was very focused on Disney, and I said, let's let's expand this because, Mm -hmm. you know what? It's about themed experiences Mm -hmm. and there's so much opportunity with themed experiences and so and we focus not on management not just on management but on leadership and looking at real world examples and so it's it's an exciting program it's part of the school of the arts we we work with school of arts and school of dance so the students will do internships in house management in box office uh, we run all of the front of house for performances. It's really an exciting program. It, it sounds fantastic, and I wish there was something like that that I knew about when I was Same going here. I know. Uh, yeah, I, I had to go to the college of learn it as you go. Yeah, and uh, so this is this is wonderful, and I'm glad that students have that. Now, students are not a monolith.
with. I'm sure they approach from with all different types of goals and yep. and outcomes. And so, what generally speaking, what tends to be the most common uh, paths? Oh, that it's all over. Is it all over? Okay. Well, what you're training them to do, it, it, they can go in many directions, which is fa- exactly. again, and and like I, where I am at a university, we have a huge music department, and you know, it's very performance track based and education. And they just started a, an arts admin program. It's mostly people that want to be musicians taking that. But I think it's important for those types of experiences too to learn about the business because a lot of times well, historically you ha- they you don't. You have to know about that. Yeah, because we're, you are even if you're a musician, you are a business. Well, and that's that's we're we're interested introducing a new class that will be starting hopefully I think this fall called creative entrepreneurship okay and it's focused on how do you package yourself how do you, you're an artist you're a performer you're a dancer you're a arts manager you are a technician you are a designer but you have to think about you you are your product and how do you look at how do you be an entrepreneur with that product. We have more and more students who have done performance track who are dual majors mm-hmm. or doing a major minor situation or have said, okay, I, I want, I've, I've done performance, but I want to understand the business side. So that's a perfect segue because we are now speaking, this is going to come out sometime after, but we're speaking at APAP. We met up at the APAP conference in 2024. And you're known by so many of the colleagues here as the guy who brings all those students. Like we love that you bring all the ne- like because we know that's the next generation of our our industry, um, no matter what direction they go. And so we're always so excited to see you and all of your students. And you brought two of them. Can you please introduce your guests? I will introduce the two of them. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the left and then to the right. Um, Hannah Pogamiller. And Ashanique Rich. Ashanique, what is it that you're you're focusing on? And, and tell us what your thoughts about this program now that you've been in it. Uh, well, before being in the AMGT program, I was undeclared, undecided. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know I wanted to work in the realms of the performing arts because I have been a performer. I did dance for like 12 years or so. And then I started to realize that I didn't want to be in the spotlight. I wanted to learn more about the behind the scenes, like how you put people out there presenting and stuff like that and understanding like how much work and the process of getting people out there is, it's a lot and it's not a lot of things that people think about, but it is a job that people have that needs to be recognized and understood. How did you find the program in the in the beginning? You said you were undeclared, but what was it that you drew drew you to that to start that track? Honestly, just David being around <laughs> <laughs> um, because he's he's um, legendary. Right. He just he's knows so many people. He knows so much about the business and, you know, what it takes to, you know, get into it and understand what happens behind the scenes was the biggest part, because being a performer, understanding the pressure in that area is already very hard to be somewhere on top like being a dancer it's hard to get where you want to get to or places that you want to be so knowing what it takes to be a presenter or an artistic director or tech management it takes a lot of effort the same amount of effort being a performer as well. What uh, year are you in? I am a junior. Junior, okay. So you have less time ahead of you than you have behind you now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is it becoming a little more clear as far as what direction you're drawn to, like where your passions seem to be pulling you? Yes. Um, uh, The road I'm trying to get to is uh, being an artistic director for absolutely anything. I'm not 
I'm not picky. I just know that it takes, like David's been around, so he knows that it's different opportunities take different amount of efforts and background knowledge. So I kind of just want to dabble in everything that I can to get a bit of understanding of what goes on everywhere. Doing that as well as being a, a choreographer would be beautiful. <laughs> And Hannah, I want to get you in this conversation yeah, too. Of um, so same questions, like what are what's your major, what year are you in, and, and what drew you to the program initially? So I actually started in the program as an arts and entertainment management student. And then going through my first year at the college, I uh, declared my double major with acting on top of that. So I am a double major with AMGT and acting. You said you came in knowing kind of what you wanted to do. How did you how did you figure that out? So when I was little, I always was performing. It started off with dance and then dance kind of brought me into acting and I fell in love with it. Absolutely. And then in my senior year, I kind of had like a revelation of this is a really hard industry for people like me because there are so many fish in the sea and it's all about being in the right time at the right place. So I was like, I don't want to wait tables. I want to get a degree in something in the industry so I can be working in the industry, even if acting is on the side or I'm working to get acting on top of like a venue management job. I wanted to get the arts management information and the teachings from David. So I was able to like put myself out there as someone who could maybe be a stage manager or someone who could be an executive director. So kind of like Aja, I'm not really picky right now. Sure, I'm, sure. And you don't have to be hearing David's story. Yeah, no. And and he's got such a plethora of experiences in all these different ways. And now it comes together and he can, you know, he can connect you to people that are, are in the industry in different areas. He can teach you different things from his experience. And so it's really great. And one of the things that I love, as I mentioned a few moments ago, is how he brings so many students to APAP. Um, what has been your experience? I mean, we're, we're here on the Sunday of APAP. So it's been a couple days now you've been kind of, you know, going to the sessions and attending showcases and doing all those things. What's been the impression to you? What are some of the things that maybe you've picked up just from coming here? Absolutely. Um, there has been so much like welcoming energy from everyone, really. If you want to talk to someone, you can just go up to them and be like, hey, I have a few questions. And they automatically are just giving you as many answers as possible. So that's been really like heartwarming and that they're welcoming like the newest generation of who are going to be making and producing these new art forms, which is great. But the biggest thing that I've been taking away is the fact that not only are the producers and presenters and those who are in the management side of this industry, but even the performers are saying that business is what is holding everything together. Mm -hmm. So even if you are a part of the art, you have to be a part of the business and knowing how to market and knowing how to do everything, money, money, money. So that's been really interesting to hear because I like I've heard it from David, but hearing it, people confirming David sure, is even sure. better. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Ajanik, how about you? Uh, yeah, there's just like from like booking agents to managers to artists, performers, like there's such a wide variety, but everyone has like an understanding of the background of the business, like understanding what it takes to be in the position they're in and people that are behind them, helping them get to where they want to be. It's, it's just a great eye opener to see so many people being so welcoming and understanding that we're students trying to learn. So getting information from them, like 
straight on is a great opportunity because not a lot of people get to do this. And for us, being able to be here is great. And we thank David for being able to do that for us. David, you've now brought students many years to APAP. Um, have you learned things about how to help them approach the conference? Very much so. The first time I brought students to APAP, I, we didn't do any prep. We just showed up. Okay. Honestly, they look like deer in the headlights. <laughs> Uh, and it was understandably very, so. I yeah. was a deer in headlights. My very, first very, sensory that, so. <laughs> very sensory overload, very sensory overload kind of situation. And so one thing has been to do prep. And like, for example, we met a couple of times in December as a group and talked through things. We went through and we talked about planning and looking at how to make sure you schedule your time and looking at how to talk with people and how to make sure. Because like, we have this interesting challenge because we don't have a presenting series at Dean. You go to a person's booth, an agent's booth, and they're like, hi, what can I talk to you about? Let me show you what I've got. And you mm -hmm. say, Whoop, hold please. And be able to understand that, you know, we're, we're here to learn. Mm -hmm. We're here to observe. And so preparing for all of that has been, and I love the fact that the APEC staff looks at me and this year they looked at me this year and they're like we are so glad that you spent time with them before they got here because your team is like the pros from dover i mean i've gotten so many compliments about the students from people from everybody from apap staff to booking agents stardust managers to people who who they helped at registration or the info desk i'm so proud of them and they it really was you know let's let's make sure we got we got our ducks in a row mm -hmm as we get ready to come. So is this part of the program? Is this a class? Like, or is it just an opportunity that you say you should really go if you can? It's a little of both. Okay. It's primarily an opportunity. Okay. There is a class connected with it. It's an experiential learning class. Both of these guys are in that class. They get to do assignments when they get back on <laughs> APAP. A lot of it's about just the experience. I mean, we've got 14 students here. Seven of them are first year students. A lot of them are performers. And this is a chance to become aware. When I was a freshman in college, I had no idea what presenting was. 100%. And to understand what went into it and the relationship, what I call the triangular relationship between a booking agent, artist manager, a presenter, and their audience. And how crucial that is and to be aware of that triangle. The pandemic's really helped open our eyes that we are truly an ecosystem and that we're all the same people. And it's really important exactly. to have the relationships and transparency. And I want to get back to the students real quick. So Hannah and Anjanique, I'd love to hear both of you, actually. Thinking about your peers that are also interested in this part of the industry, um, whether no matter what track it is. What advice would you have for them, someone that hasn't come to APAP yet? Would you encourage them to do it? Or not just APAP, but any kind of convening like this. And what specifically, what advice would you give them in approaching it, like how they plan their schedule and that sort of thing? Not a lot of people actually know what APAP is at my age. Mm -hmm. I had no idea until I joined Dean College and I met David. And there are people I know that are on Broadway or in the business who are coming to me and saying, oh, you're in New York. What are you doing? Oh, oh I met APAP. Oh, what's that? Which yeah, is yeah. insane. And so I think advice, what I can give to students who no matter what they're interested, if it's in the performing arts or even in just like business, um, is networking is huge mm -hmm. and start as early as possible. Mm -hmm. And that will take you to so many different outlets. And it's so like, it's so overlooked because it can be 
really hard to start, but it's really easy to continue. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really big aspect of it. I wish I, I think I was double your age by the time that lesson was was put on me. So I'm glad that you learned it now. And and, and that is very true. Ajanique, what do you think? What would you tell your peers? Um, Just adding on top of that, um, don't be afraid to be open to so many different opportunities because every door will lead you to a different door. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, never be afraid to say yes. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Also, just learning that you can always learn more. That's another thing. Like, if you think that you know enough, you never know enough. And you can always learn more. And it's a big eye opener for you to know as much as you can. I love that. Going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, David, um, we have to wrap up in a minute, but I I have a time machine and I, I. (laughs) with <laughs> the ladies here. I'm not sure um, if I want to take them back. Actually, I'm going to take all three of you back to when you're about to leave and come here to New York. Is there something you guys would tell yourselves, either a piece of advice or just anything, you know, maybe something you forgot to pack or, or something that, you know, make sure you do? What would you tell yourselves before you before you got here? I would tell myself that it's okay to put myself out there and that I should just do it and not be afraid to do it and to drink water. Definitely drink yes, water. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Stay hydrated. I guess what I tell myself before is be aware that I'm always on my feet. This entire experience is very go, go, go. And I was not, I was told about it, but not preparing myself mentally for it. <laughs> I think mine would be realizing that one, it's okay to say, I need a break. Mm -hmm. Don't push yourself so hard that you collapse. I think the other thing is be prepared as you're building these relationships. And that's really, for me, the key about APAP is the relationships. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, we've all grown up with each other and we've watched our families grow. You know, all three of my kids who are now 27, 22 and 19 have all been pushed around in a stroller during APAP. And people remember that and they ask me about them. And it's all about building relationships and and being open to exploring those relationships. Wonderful. That's a great way to end, David, but I, I do have one last question. This one is more for the colleagues that we see wandering around the conferences that see you and your students but don't quite know what you do. What do you want them to know about what they see? I, I want them to know that the students are here to volunteer. The students are here to explore. The students are here to learn more about the business But they're also here to start building those relationships. One of the things we do, and I've done this for a number of years, is I print business cards for them. Wonderful. So that they have business cards. So when they're talking to somebody, they can say, well, can I get your card here? Let me give you my card. Mm -hmm. And people will look at them and go, (laughs) what? They're stunned that they have a business card. But it's little touches like that that help, again, create an impression and can build that relationship. If I could just tag on to that, I think you, what you're saying is you want to encourage our other colleagues to even approach them, not just have your students oh, yeah. approach the, the colleagues, have but colleagues have approach, approach them. Yeah. Yeah. Ask them, you know, say, say, why are you here? What are you, what are you looking for? What do you want to do? We've been going to different booths and people have said that Rob Lake, Rob Lake looked at the students today and said, so what do you want to do? Why are you here? You know, and, and I think that's fabulous. Yes. Well, thank you all. We're out of time and I want to thank you for joining us and taking time to sit down and, and share. 
Ryan, thank you. It's thank an you honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Brian, thanks for sitting down with David, Ajnik, and Hannah during APAP. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. First of all, David's career is one for the books. I, you know, he has done so many yeah. things and uh, his vast experience sets him up so well to teach and to inspire the next generation. And that really came through in how, in the conversation that you had with Hannah and Ajanique um, and David together in terms of the program, how they were inspired to join the program. And I really love David's generosity of spirit in bringing students to the conference and giving them that very rich experience and really looking out for their development in, in those terms. I thought what was really impressive about bringing all the students to APAP is the fact that they don't have a presenting series. I mean, so they're literally just there to learn and have these conversations, make these connections. Because I went to APAP as a student, but we were looking for artists. Like we were as part of a presenting series. And so hearing that side of things, I thought was a, a really, you know, I, I would say a unique approach. And I think too, as a student and you're, you kind of have an idea that you want to be in the industry, the jobs maybe still feel a little bit small, like the the job possibilities, executive director, artistic director, marketing box office. But even in the most recent conferences we've been to, there's been so many other types of, I don't want to say like side businesses, but like technology companies and other ways that people are working within the performing arts industry that were not career paths, even a few years ago. And I think it's great to see, um, like you described, Brian, an ecosystem of all of us expanding and using our tools in so many different ways and like just being able to see all of the career paths that could be available. I would love to know. It'd be really interesting to see, you know, what some of those students are, are doing after they left. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, I'm sure they've got plenty of success stories. It would just be interesting to see where, where they ended up, what paths they ended up taking. I think it's a great service, especially with them serving as volunteers and being able to interact with the organization and interact with all of the people as volunteers. Moving away from the educational part of it, I love all of the different places where David has started a theater in a new place. One of them being the Carson Center, which is just about 45 minutes from us, a gorgeous space with an incredible programming, and it's an incredible institution now. And knowing that he started that and seeing what it's built into really, really stood out to me. I also loved hearing his story about um, opening the theater in the skiing area, you know, just highlighting that there are times that we go into programming and curating a season where, you know, we know what the audience is going to want mm -hmm. this time of the year. We know, uh, you know, who the audience is and like getting to the point where it's happening and you're like, where are the, where are the ticket buyers? Like, <laughs> Where's everybody coming? <laughs> and like, just realizing that your assumptions weren't quite there and like pivoting and figuring out really how to best serve your audience that lives there all the time, as well as your audience that's coming in just for a week. Um, and, you know, I think, I think there's a vulnerability in talking about that because we like to talk about our successes in meeting our audience, but I was just really grateful to hear that. And, you know, to think about how each area of the country, each city is so drastically different. Um, you know, like you can't park buses during a certain time of the year, but there are other places in the country where like you, you just got space, you know, like we each have so much in common, but the same amount not in common. 
Yeah. I also like the story about him and his then wife being competitors. And I thought that was really yeah. an interesting dynamic. But it's also a great example of how two venues can be in the same community, mm-hmm. coexist and serve the audience in different ways, right? Different size hall. So they're programming differently and they were you know, programming for different audiences. So I thought that was actually a great example of ways that venues can work together, coexist, serve communities in different ways. Um, because like I said, different hall sizes and they had different programming strategies. I really enjoyed hearing his path through learning what he really wanted to do. You know, going in to be an actor and then going into lighting design and then deciding he liked stage management better and then finding the arts admin and finding that that's really where he fit. I really liked hearing that trajectory of his career. I identified with that too, because that's kind of how my career was too. I kept finding new things that I loved even more and, and it led me to where I am now rather than seeing the end goal of being presenter and, and getting there on, on my own. So, well, and all of those varied experiences just make him a better educator and you can Mm -hmm. hear it in the course of the interview, how all those things build uh, his knowledge base to, to now be a a professor and, and teach college. Um, and you can hear how much the students admire him and how inspirational, influential he is on their path and their journey. So I really love seeing those things connect. And I love how multidisciplinary that program is and how it really, at least seems to me, they're going to turn out multifaceted, diversified students that really can take any path. Like you said, Brian, like with those skills and that knowledge base, they can really go anywhere in the industry. And that's what I love to talk to young students about is getting those, as Danielle says, transferable skills um, and really making sure that they have a wide range of experiences coming out of undergrad or graduate school um, so they can really pursue whatever they want in the field down the line. So we've talked about this a little bit before. And as much as I love the interview, hearing the students talk about the networking was both really awesome and inspirational. But at the same time, it reminded me of the silo that we've seen the industry in of like a lot of things that happen happen because of the network that you have and your ability to access creating that network. And you can teach networking all you want, but you can't teach a network. You know, I think as we're just discussing equity in the industry and student training, we need to, one, take into account that networking time that we spend in conferences is work and it's so vital and it's so important. But how do we make sure that everybody is is involved and invited and things aren't just only based on travel? Again, I say this a lot. I wish I had answers and I don't. Danielle, I, I don't think it's a problem that you know you don't have an answer for that. I think it's really important for us to sort of be reminded of those things and be reminded of the some honestly just the privilege that we have to be able to be in those rooms, be able to be in those events. Um, but also, you know, as we move forward in our careers and our lives, figuring out ways that we can maybe bridge that gap or looking at other ways and just honestly being aware of it is sometimes, you know, as GI Joe would say, half the battle. And I think that comes with some responsibility also. I think that's what you're saying, Kevin. Yeah. And that responsibility is to make sure those of us who are privileged to do that, to then go when we get to our hometowns, to reach out to the folks that aren't able to travel, as Daniel mentioned, to be proactive in our work, uh, in not just in our local community, but in our statewide or regional communities. 
So I, I really enjoyed this conversation with David and also Hannah and Ajanique, and I want to thank them for taking their time out of their busy APAP schedule to sit with me and, and to talk about their program. And I'm going to be staying in touch with them for sure. Uh, and hopefully maybe someday we can do an update and see how they're doing. For now, we're going to sign off and we'll see you guys next week on There's No Business Like. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Vanho. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? <laughs> I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslike.com. Do I sound out bus ness every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. How's that coconut water, Josh? It's almost gone. It's awful still, I'm sure. Yep. Just be it's glad it's not the chunky still. version. I didn't know there was God. a chunky version. I can't That's even. Me out. It's like puking in it's... reverse, remember? <laughs> We just talked about this before. (laughs) Oh, that's so bad. So if you're listening to this episode, uh, the day it comes out, tomorrow is Leap Day. And uh, I don't know why I brought that up, but it's just something interesting. I like the leap year (laughs) concept, adding a day to the year every four years. Anyway. I like that. Yeah, that was interesting. (laughs) Fucking coconut water. (laughs) I suffered a lot with personal boundaries whenever I was younger. Still do. Whenever you were, or when you were younger, like whenever you whenever. were younger, Kevin, you look like you were about to talk. You got one? Oh no, I was just trying to figure oh, out why well. Josh still does this podcast. If <laughs> I figure, like we'd have got that off a while ago. <laughs> Talking about never again, and he's drinking more coconut. Like this stuff is disgusting. Let me drink some. Let me open a new one. <laughs> drink another. <laughs>